0: Today's scripture reading is Romans 16, 1 through 7. Oh, sorry. I commend to your sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centre, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Jesus Christ. They risked their lives for me, not only but I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Epinetus who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. The word of the Lord.
1: Before we get started, please join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that your ways are not our ways, that your ways are higher than our ways. Who wants a God that we can fully understand? But yet, Father, that brings with it difficulties. Lord, we pray for your wisdom, we pray for your unity, and we pray for your Holy Spirit to dwell richly in this place. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so a few things became clear to me after last week's uh, first half of this sermon on women of the Old Testament, and one of them is that I started using words that we never defined. Um, hopefully you guys can read that, but complementarianism, egalitarianism, or complementarian, egalitarian. thought it would be good to do a little bit of definition on that. This is a very brief definition often, obviously, but the most important thing is that at the top, a biblical view of either of these uh, beliefs believes that men and women are of equal worth. Okay, so no matter what we're talking about, um, we're talking about men and women being created in God's image and being of equal value and equal worth. So real briefly, when we use that phrase complementarian, we're talking about a belief that men and women have different roles in the church. And on the egalitarian side, believing that men and women's roles are interchangeable in the church. And then the same for the home. And you can see the scripture references there. same scripture reference I put for egalitarian on both of those. And the thing that I find kind of the most interesting when I dive into these is the bottom piece, where commentarians believe that gender distinctions are a result of creation. And as we work towards the fullness of the kingdom, we're going to be bringing those about whereas egalitarians would tend to believe that the gender distinction is a result of the fall and the redemption will slowly um, put those aside. So I don't wanna to spend too long on that. I am also gonna mention before we move forward that as I did last week, and I'm sure um, Jonathan will as well, that you know all of these views, if they're biblically based, are within the bounds of orthodoxy. So we're just trying to wrestle with this topic and have some good discussion, some good thought on it, and ultimately, you know where it takes us individually and as a church is you know up to the the working of the holy spirit and the the people that we have. So with that I'm going to dive in a little bit more. So just a recap of last week for any who didn't watch it or weren't here. We talked about all of these women of the old testament. That middle um uh, sorry not middle but the second line there those are some of the women who were involved in saving Moses, his mother, his sister, and his wife. The other names you're probably familiar with. But just as a kind of a recap, and the theme that we saw come out of that was that God used women or is using women to save men or all of Israel. We see these stories throughout the Old Testament. And we wrestled a little bit with, you know, what does that mean, if anything, to us? So that's a little recap for us. And now we're going to dive into the New Testament. So, eh, I don't want to bury the lead, so I'm going to stay right out front. One of the themes I noticed as I was putting together the New Testament long ago was that God or Jesus trusted women with the gospel. So look for that theme as you look throughout. So Anna is someone that I really like. It's one of the reasons why our third-born child received that name. Um, Anna's kind of a tie from the Old Testament to the New in a way, right? So she was a prophet. She lived in the time before Christ was born, and she, it says, was in the temple day and night fasting and praying. She was a widow for most of her life, um, and she was devoted to the Lord's work. And when Jesus was brought to the temple for the purification rites, which um, I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's somewhere around 40 days after birth, She basically came up and declared who the child was. She knew. Um, There was also a man there named Simeon who did the same thing. So we see God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling in and speaking through both uh, a man and a woman in that case. But that's kind of a a transition from Old Testament to New Testament. And it says here that um, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So we're seeing that theme of the rescuing of the people of Israel. And then we fast forward quite a ways, (laughs) 30 years. Jesus' ministry is begun. And early on in his ministry, I'm sure you're all familiar with the story, he meets a Samaritan woman at the well as they're traveling. Jesus and his disciples are traveling. His disciples head off to get some food, and he's left there alone at the well. And this woman comes up, and she is there to draw water in the middle of the day. And Jesus asks her, to give her a drink. And she's astonished because Jews didn't deal with Samaritans. Samaritans were essentially half-Jewish. They had inbred with Gentile people. And she's astonished that Jesus is asking for a drink. And Jesus answers her and says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. Of course, that's confusing to her and they have a little back and forth about this living water. and. she's wondering how he's going to get it out of the well since he doesn't even have a bucket. And, you know, she's totally missing the point at that point. And he's going to explain it to her, but first he says, go call your husband and come back. And she replies that she has no husband. And, of course, Jesus already knew that. And He says, yeah, what you say is right. You've had five husbands, and now the man you're living with is not your husband. So, you know, she's pretty astonished at that fact. But what I'm astonished at is that this is the first person As we see here, she says, yes, I know that the Messiah is coming. He's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus said, yeah, that's me. And this is the first recorded time we have in Scripture of Jesus revealing himself as the Messiah or agreeing with somebody who calls him that. And he chose a woman who had led a sinful life. He chose a woman who was half-Jewish. He chose a woman who was outcast from society. And you have to ask yourself... Why? Why is that the choice that's being made there? What are we supposed to learn from that? Then we're going to move on to Mary. We're going to go through these pretty fast, obviously. We'll have time to discuss them in the small groups. So Mary of Bethany. There's a lot of Marys in the Bible. I could think of like five right off the top of my head when I was starting this, so I thought that was the best way to define her, but you probably know her as uh, Martha's sister, maybe. So we see her three times in the Bible, the story that we're going to talk about, sitting at the feet of Jesus while her sister was busy making preparations. Um, she was there at the raising of her brother Lazarus when Jesus came and raised Lazarus. And um, also the same woman who poured perfume on the feet of Jesus days before his crucifixion, where you can remember people were upset at the waste of, of money, of resources. Um Yeah, we don't need to talk about all the other Marys, but just clarifying who she is. So, I think I went twice. So, Jesus' disciples are on their way to a village, they decide to stop and stay at basically Martha and Mary's house. Lazarus isn't mentioned at this time, but they arrive, and Jesus is there, as he often is, teaching the disciples and probably other people that had gathered around, and Mary slides herself in right at Jesus' feet and is intently listening to all of his teaching. Well... You know Martha isn't too happy about that. She comes and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or, indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So we've probably all heard sermons about whether it's better to be a Martha or a Mary, and that's not at all where I'm going to go. What I want to look at is the small fact that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus was not only okay with that, but he was praising her for that. In that culture, people sitting at the feet of a rabbi were followers of the rabbi, were students of the rabbi, were people who were probably on a path to potentially be a rabbi themselves. So I think it's telling that Jesus is accepting uh, Mary into that position, and that's what I want to focus on in that story. Then there's Mary Magdalene, another Mary of Scripture. Um, We really only for sure know a couple of stories about her. We know that in the beginning of Luke, we see here that um, she had had seven demons um, cast out of her. And after that moment, she started following Jesus, which I think makes sense if that had happened to you. It might have been a good time to start following Jesus. There are a bunch of other stories in the Bible that don't identify um, the woman in question, such as the woman who Jesus saves from stoning, or um, I'm trying to think of a couple other examples, but sometimes people attribute those to Mary Magdalene, but based on everything I know, we don't really have any, any proof of that, so I want to be careful not to impugn her. <laughs> um, some people say she's, she was a woman also of ill repute, like, like Rahab, but we don't know that What we do know is that she was possessed by at least seven demons. Jesus cast them out and she became a follower. And what's interesting at the end of this uh, passage here in Luke 1 through three is that it says, um, not only was it her who was following, but Joanna and um, Susanna and many others. It says these women were helping to support them out of their own means. So a lot of people don't necessarily know Maybe it's important for us, maybe it's not as important to you, but to know that Jesus' ministry for two years as he's traveling around and the disciples, you're probably thinking, you know, where are they finding the resources to do this? And they were being supported, and certainly many scholars believe primarily by women who are taking money out of their own, their own means to support Jesus' ministry. But Mary Magdalene has one really big distinction. She was the first person that saw the risen Christ. John chapter 20 verse 1. That's how we know it was her. It says early on the first day of the week while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And there's obviously she's upset. She tells Peter and John. John feels free to tell us that he outran Peter to the tomb. And then They leave, and Mary's still there in the garden. She stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot, and they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, and she told them, that he had said these things to her. So here we have this really interesting choice, I think. The risen Christ appears before he ascends to a woman, a woman that he had cast seven demons out of, a woman that he had a relationship with as she followed his ministry, and he told her to go and tell the others, trusting her with the good news, trusting her to deliver this message and kind of get this whole Um, post-resurrection belief in Jesus started. I think that's really huge. We read a passage, Ada read it for us, Romans 16, 1 through 7. It was hard to choose a passage both for last week and for this week because there were so many passages we were covering to be read. But I find this an interesting passage and one that we can struggle with because Paul is basically credited with, I mean, Paul is thought to be complementarian. Paul's passages in Timothy and in Titus are kind of the basis for much of the complementarian viewpoint in the home and in church. But here we see Paul at the end of his letter to the Romans in verses 1 through 7, commending many, many women. And starting with Phoebe, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon in the church. And he asked them to receive her and to give her any help she may need and basically tells them that she also has been funding or taking care of many people, including him. But most scholars would agree that the reason she's mentioned here at the end of the last chapter as being received by this church is that she was probably the one that carried the letter to the Romans to the church. That's a big responsibility that Paul gave to her. The person who carried the letter would most likely be the one who read the letter, And it's certainly possible that after the reading of the letter, the people would have some questions. If you've ever read Romans, one uh, audible hearing of it probably would not do it. Um, So there's probably a lot of questions. And she very well may have been one to help explain some of what Paul was writing in Romans. And I think that's pretty interesting. He goes on to talk about Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ, and saying that they've risked their lives and that there is a church that meets in their house. This is also picked up in the book of Acts, chapter 18. We see here that there was a Jew named Apollos that had come and he was preaching and maybe he didn't have everything quite right, so um, Priscilla and Aquila invite him to their house and explain to him the way of God more adequately. I don't know why every time Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned, Priscilla goes first, but it's not the norm as you read ancient texts. It's not the norm as you read the Bible. The church met in their house. Um, It would be speculation to know whether she was a co-pastor, whether she was the pastor, or what the reason is for her being mentioned first. But um, in multiple places in Scripture, uh, Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned, and she gets the uh, top billing for some reason. I skip over verse six, where Paul talks about a really hard worker named Mary, another Mary. Of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and there's other Marys as well. But in uh, verse seven, greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Now, that term among the apostles could mean that they were apostles, and among the apostles, they were outstanding. It also may mean that they were thought well of by the apostles, so we don't know for sure that Junia was an apostle, uh, but it is another woman that's mentioned here, and at the very least, um, she was doing enough to be thrown in prison, which I think to me means that she was teaching about the way, as they called it, that she she was spreading the gospel. Whether or not she was actually an apostle, we won't know until we get to to heaven one day. So, quick recap. I saw this theme of God trusting women, Jesus trusting women with the gospel. Again, just like last week, as we talked about women being used to save men in all of Israel, certainly men were used as well. Um, And as you see throughout the New Testament, plenty of men that are trusted with the gospel. But it is interesting that it was not men alone, that God trusted women with the gospel. And as I was thinking about this early this week I kind of had this epiphany um, and this verse came to my mind for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes Romans 1:16, also Paul the start of that book and so if the gospel is salvation then God trusting women with the gospel. If gospel equals salvation, kind of get into my math and engineering background, we can swap those out. And God is using women to save all of humanity. Not just women exclusively, obviously, but He's using them. He's trusting them to share the gospel. So then we see the Old Testament theme God using women to save men or all of Israel. New Testament theme God using women to save all of humanity. And I think probably if I didn't have the extra time to do this over two weeks, I might not have seen that synergy there. But yeah, that's really, that's really the point. I think that might be my last slide. It is. So I'm going to leave that up there for a second. Or I'm not going to leave that up there for a second. I am going to leave that up there for a second. So as we head out into our small groups, I mean, I just want to to point out, you know, I said last week that I grew up um, in a complementarian family in church and just believed it because that's what was taught. As I looked into it, kind of became 70% sure that that was pretty good, that that made sense. Really struggled through all of the passages that we may get to um, after Easter, really diving into some of the more complicated stuff, Um, but didn't find a lot of those uh, explanations compelling. How can I dismiss some of the things Paul has said? But dove into the arc of Scripture and thought, boy, there's really something here. There's really something to the fact that God continues to use women and in ways that maybe seem to be um, unacceptable to those with a complementarian viewpoint and probably ended up feeling 70% sure that, boy, I don't wanna limit women and what they're gonna do. If I'm gonna err on the side of being wrong, I guess I'd rather err on the side of allowing women to exercise their gifts, allowing women to um, be able to minister in the kingdom without limitations. Ultimately, we're saved by grace. We don't need perfect theology to get into heaven, which is a great thing, because none of us would make it. Jesus would be very lonely up there. And not really. That's not saying Jesus needs us to not be lonely. That's heresy. I didn't say that. But he does want us there. He desires desires to have people there. God desires that none should perish, it says. So... You know, we can rest on the fact that perfect theology is not required for getting into heaven, but I think as Christians, it's our responsibility to wrestle with the things of Scripture. There are things that are so hard to understand, and I don't think it's enough to say, eh, I don't understand it, I don't care. I think we should dive into them. We should try to form an opinion, hopefully one that's based on Scripture and based on prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit. And Paul sure gives a lot of room for conscience in many, many issues, and I think this could be one of them.